0: Who is Jesus Christ? It would be hard to think of a more significant question you could ask. Uh, I know that some of you are here today because that's exactly the question that you have begun asking. Uh, And if that is you then you've come to the right place At the heart of it, Christianity is about Jesus Christ. It's not primarily about living a certain way, though that must and will follow. But Christianity is first and foremost about what you do with Jesus. And so surely there's no better way we could start the year together than by listening to what Jesus himself has to say about himself. Why take someone else's word for it when you can hear what the most important person who's ever lived had to say about why he came? And so if you're you're new to church, I hope these next seven weeks will be particularly helpful. If you've been thinking of inviting someone to come along to church, well there's never a bad time to do that. But these seven uh, forthcoming weeks would be a particularly good opportunity to do that and on the other hand if you've been a Christian for a long time I don't want you to think that these messages aren't going to be relevant to you in fact that would be one of the biggest mistakes you could make one of the biggest mistakes we can make as Christians is to think that the Christian life starts off with Jesus but then we move on from him that Jesus saves us but the growing as a Christian comes in some other way uh, when actually the Bible teaches that growing as a Christian comes about primarily by keeping our attention fixed on Jesus Christ. That as we fix our eyes on him, the Holy Spirit uh, transforms us more and more into his image. As one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible puts it, as we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit making us more like Jesus as we gaze upon him in his word. So whether you're brand new to church, or whether you've recently come back to church, or whether you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember, there's nothing more vital for us to do than fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. And that's something I aim to do with every sermon. But I trust this series will give us a particular opportunity to do that. But as we start uh, this series this morning, we do so with a a warning uh, from the chapter in front of us that it is possible to seek Jesus for the wrong reasons because it's scarily possible to be interested in Jesus but only for what we think we can get out of him. And we have real life examples of that right here on the page in front of us. So firstly, this morning, uh, we see it's possible to seek Jesus for the wrong reasons. Uh, There is an outline uh, on the back of your order of service. Firstly, it's possible to seek Jesus for the wrong reasons. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has performed one of his most famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle that makes it into all four Gospels. And the response from the crowd couldn't have been any more enthusiastic. In verse 14 they say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Which prophet was that? Well at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 18, when God's people were on the edge of the promised land, Moses had told them, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And ever since then, God's people had looked forward to the prophet like Moses coming into the world. And now they realise that he's come. But while they were right in that Jesus was the one who had been promised... They were wrong when it came to what sort of Messiah he was going to be. We see that in verse 15 where it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. The Jews in Jesus' day were looking for an earthly king who would lead them in overthrowing their Roman occupiers. They saw the Old Testament prophecies about how the Messiah would be a glorious king. But they managed to ignore the prophecies that said he would be a suffering servant. They wanted a Messiah who was going to change their daily life circumstances right away. And when, as time goes on, it becomes clear that Jesus is not going to be that sort of king, they reject him. And the fact that they reject him isn't a surprise. Don't let anyone tell you that the Old Testament didn't foresee the Jews' rejection of Jesus. For a thousand years before Jesus, the Jews had been singing Psalm 118. It says the stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. Jesus sang that psalm just before he went to the cross. The last words he sang before going to the cross. So in the end the Jews will reject Jesus as the prophets had foretold. But for now they're still interested in him. But they're just interested in him for what they can get out of him. Verse 22 begins with the words on the next day. So the day after the feeding of the 5,000. And what happens on the next day? The crowd come looking for Jesus. In verse 25, they find him and they ask him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The feeding of the 5,000 was a sign. Uh, John's gospel is different from uh, the other gospels it is that uh, there aren't many miracles uh, but there are, are seven uh, specific miracles which are described as signs uh, uh, they're they're meant to point people to who Jesus really was that they're meant to be signposts But all the crowd were interested in was the sign itself. Not in what the sign was pointing to. All they're interested in is the fact that Jesus can give them free bread. They're looking for Jesus but only because they think he can provide for their physical needs. They're seeking Jesus but for all the wrong reasons. And it is tragically possible to do the same today. It's tragically possible to be interested in Jesus, but for the wrong reasons. Just as it was possible back then for the people to physically see Jesus do a miracle, to to follow him, to be around him, to talk to him and still be lost. So it's possible for people today to, to come to church, read their Bible, give money to God. And it's all for the wrong reasons. Someone might say, I want to turn my life around, I want to get my life on the straight and narrow so I'm going to start coming to church. And as a first step, that, that's, that's okay, it's, 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 it's a good place to come to. But if that's all that Jesus and church are ever about for us, then we're just using Jesus as a means to an end. We're just using Jesus as a means to an end of a less chaotic life. It would be like in days gone by when someone might have no real interest in Jesus Christ but coming to church was a respectable thing to do and the man knew that it would be good for his business if he came. Being a church member it would be good for his reputation in the town and so he came to church not to worship God but because he was trying to get something out of it. And it's even using Jesus as a means to an end if you come to church simply because you want to go to heaven. Someone who has no real love for God might come to church because they think that if they come faithfully, they'll get to heaven in the end. But to do that would be to come to church because you want one of God's gifts, not because you want Jesus himself. Coming to church because you want to go to heaven, you know, reduces Jesus to the level of a shop assistant. You don't have to have any relationship with a shop assistant in order to buy something off them. Maybe you make conversation with them for a minute or two while they're scanning your groceries. Maybe you don't. But as long as you give them the right money, they'll give you something Whether they have a relationship with you, whether you have a relationship with them or not, it's irrelevant. But it's different with Jesus. Yes, Jesus can help you get your life on the straight and narrow. Yes, he can help you with your addictions. Yes, he can make you a better parent. Yes, he and only he can get you into heaven. But all these things must flow out of a relationship with him. Do you see how it dishonours the Lord Jesus to try and use him as a ladder to get to something else? Whether that's a happy marriage, obedient children, respect in society, a cleaned up life, even heaven when you die. Because in any of those scenarios, Jesus isn't your end goal. He's only a means to an end but he is the Lord of the universe and he isn't going to let you use him as a ladder to try and get to something else. Perhaps you, you started coming to church because you thought your biggest issue was your addiction or your, your home life or your anger issues. But actually the first thing you need to see is that your biggest problem is that you've been living life in God's world, breathing in the air he gives you, while barely giving him a second thought. And your biggest problem this morning is that you have lived a life of rebellion against this holy God. That even though you were created to know him, at this very moment you're still more interested in what you can get out of him than in having a a relationship with him. Now, if you are in that position this morning, don't, uh, don't switch off. There is hope. Don't, don't say, well, well, this isn't what I came for. I'm not interested. Uh, because put it like this. Imagine you went to the doctor with a relatively minor problem, uh, say a sore arm, uh, and you walked in thinking, well, he'll give me uh, some tablets and in a couple of weeks I'll be fine. Uh, but actually what you thought was a minor problem was actually a symptom of something far more serious and the doctor tells you that you need to have an operation right away. Well in that case are you going to say to him well thanks but, but I only came in to, to here to get my sore arm treated I'm not interested in anything more drastic I just don't have space in my life for it at the moment. If you said that you'd be crazy. Uh, what you thought was a big issue has has flagged up a, a far deeper issue and in the same way you may have come to church thinking that there's one particular thing in your life that you need to get sorted but now you're hearing that something far more drastic is required and the temptation might be say, well that's too much uh, but don't reject this Because unlike some who would tickle your ears and say, well beneath it all you're actually a good person. You just need some outward things straightened out. Jesus Christ wants you to know the desperate reality of your situation. In order that you might come to him for the new life that you so desperately need. Because one day everyone is going to find out the full extent of how bad we are one day everyone's going to find out but but god wants you to find that out now before you're too late that's why he's given you the bible don't leave it until the day of judgment the issues in your life that you'd like treatment for they're actually just symptoms of a far more serious disease so firstly this morning it's possible to seek jesus for the wrong reasons But then the second of our two points only Jesus Himself can truly satisfy. Only Jesus Himself can truly satisfy. What's our biggest problem as human beings? At the heart of it, it's that we spend our lives chasing after God's gifts, but not God Himself. We seek the gifts rather than the giver, and the creation rather than the creator. In the words of Romans 1, we've exchanged the truth of God about a lie and have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So if that's our biggest problem, what's our greatest need? Well, if our problem is that we go after the gifts rather than the giver, if our problem has been chasing after the creation rather than the creator obviously our greatest need is to do the opposite to let the gifts point us to the giver Uh, not that we have to to reject God's gifts Uh, God's gifts are good but they're they're not an end in themselves they're meant to be signposts to point us to the giver we need to stop worshipping created things but rather worship and serve the creator Not just because it's wrong to worship and serve the creation, but because it actually can't satisfy us. It can't give us what we think it can give us. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the bread of life. Even today, when there's so much choice as to what we could eat, 99% of UK households buy bread we could perhaps survive without it but it would have been very hard for people in Jesus day to do that if you'd taken away their bread they would have had to try and substitute in something else but it wouldn't have done the same job it would still have left them hungry it wouldn't have nourished them in the same way Jesus immediately goes on to say whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Is he talking about physical hunger there? Physical thirst? No. He's saying that that all of us have, have a deep spiritual hunger and thirst that we're looking to satisfy but our problem is that we try and satisfy it in all the wrong places. And when I say all the wrong places, I don't necessarily mean bad things. Yes, some people do try and satisfy this inner hunger with bad things. Uh, You know, drink, drugs, affairs, uh, uh, cheating others out of money. But it's also possible to try and satisfy this deep inner hunger with good things. Uh, Some try and satisfy their inner longings with marriage, children, children these things will make me happy or health and exercise charlie work church attendance but whether we try and fill our hunger with good things or bad things either way they can't satisfy us because we were made for something more than that our problem as c.s lewis once put it is that we are far too easily pleased Uh, we We go after the the trinkets of the world and our problem isn't that we want too much. Our our problem is that we're satisfied with too little. We were created in God's image. Uh, Part of what that means is that we were made for relationship with him. And without that relationship then no matter how good our life might be in the world's eyes, deep down we'll have this gnawing hunger. And we'll have a thirst which none of these other things can quench. The things that, that we think can uh, quench your thirst will be like seawater. Uh, they'll, they'll look refreshing, but they can't satisfy. Maybe we even got a sense of that with Christmas. Uh, we look forward to it for so long. We set, spend so much time preparing for it. It promises so much, a break from everyday life, time with family, nice food. But often, even if we wouldn't admit it, it turns out to be a bit of a disappointment. And even if it meets our expectations in every way, it's soon over. And we find ourselves hurtling towards Blue Monday, uh, the third Monday in January, which is apparently the most depressing day of the year. So even the one day of the year that we look forward to more than anything else can't bring us true satisfaction, but Jesus can And so here Jesus wants to point us to himself because he can satisfy us. He can do what all created things can't. Even the place where he was born hints at that. Boys and girls, do you remember what the name Bethlehem means? You know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but what does it mean? It means house of bread house of bread and how appropriate that the saviour who was born at Bethlehem the house of bread would grow up and say I am the bread of life because he is the only one who can truly satisfy us Uh, St Augustine one of the most famous men in the history of the church outside of the bible put it like this in a prayer. He says, "You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you." This is a call to let your restless heart find its rest in Jesus Christ. But all of that raises a question. Who is this Jesus if he claims to be able to satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts? Well he can't be any mere man. Uh, Some would say or some would like to say that Jesus was a good teacher and nothing more. But good teachers don't go around making the claims that he did if they're only men. Mere men don't go around saying whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. (laughs) Imagine if one of us claimed that this is no mere man and in fact even those words i am are are a subtle claim to be god that's true of all these i am sayings in the original language of the bible it's as if jesus says the i twice here when he doesn't actually need to if all he wants to, to do is compare himself to bread he, he, he could have said I am the bread of life without saying it in this particular way. And so what we have in each of these seven I am sayings is a reference back to the name of God in the Old Testament. Uh, as we read in Exodus 3 when God sends Moses to the people of Israel and, and Moses asks well, well uh, what, what should he say when they ask him what God's name is? God says to Moses I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. That's where the name Yahweh or or Jehovah or Lord comes from. uh, When when the word Lord is in capitals in our Bibles. Uh, For God to say, I am, it means that that he had no beginning and will have no end. It means that he has always existed and will always exist. Uh, Isaiah 46 verse 3, even to your old age, I am. I am. And so by saying I am the way he does here, Jesus is subtly claiming to be God. Uh, by the way, what, what is a subtle claim to be God in the I am saying becomes very explicit at the end of chapter 8, uh, just a couple of chapters later, when Jesus tells the Jews, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am and they are in absolutely no doubt about what he's saying. They, they immediately pick up stones to stone him. Because stoning was a punishment for blasphemy. When Jesus says before Abraham was I am, there's absolutely no doubt that he's claiming to be God. The Jews think this is blasphemous, so they pick up stones to stone him. In the, the seven other I am saying, the seven I am sayings, it's a bit more subtle but it's, it's still there. But of course, even with, without the I am, if Jesus is claiming that whoever comes to him will never hunger and whoever believes in him will never thirst, then the only way he can claim that is if he is God. Because only someone who is infinite can provide infinite satisfaction and only God is infinite. To put it another way, because God has no limits, then we will never reach a point where he is unable to satisfy us. Maybe you go to an all-you-can-eat restaurant, but even they have limits. They'll run out of some of the food eventually. The restaurant will have to close at a certain time. But with Jesus, there are no limits If we were to spend eternity with another human being there would come a point when we knew everything that it was possible to know about them but not with Jesus. Toys that were new and exciting on Christmas morning are quickly becoming ordinary, uh, maybe even boring but Jesus will keep delighting us for all eternity. So what must we do in order to taste the bread of life? That's what the people asked Jesus Verse 28, what, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Though it's, it's sort of the wrong question, isn't it? it? It is a question we ask as human beings, what must we do? But it's really the wrong question. We say to Jesus, this bread that you're offering sounds good, but, but what, what do we do to have to get it? How can we pay for it? But the cost is just beyond us. What does it cost for our relationship with God to be restored? What does it cost for us to be forgiven for worshipping and serving the creation rather than the creator? It is a price that we cannot pay. Instead the body of the one who was the bread of life had to be broken for us. He had to be ground between the millstones of divine wrath. He had to pass through the fiery oven of God's justice. So what must we do? There's nothing we can do. He has done it all. The bread of life was broken for us. All we have to do is believe. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never ever thirst. Do you want this bread? Do you want this restored relationship with your creator? All you have to do is believe. Put your faith and trust in him and it will be the gateway into the life that you were created to live. And just as we close this morning, I want to speak specifically to two categories of people and firstly to the same category of people that Jesus goes on to speak to in the very next verse Jesus says in verse 36 but I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe what a terrible thing that would have been to have seen Jesus in the flesh to have heard his teaching and yet to walk away untouched to walk away thinking about free bread but not saying truly this man is the son of God And yet my worry this morning is that some here may be in exactly that position. You've been part of this church for a long time, but do you still not believe? It's not just that you've heard about Jesus, you've actually seen him. How have you seen him? Galatians 3, Paul writes to people who had never laid eyes on Jesus of Nazareth, and he says it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified How? Because he'd been preached to them. And I fear there may be some sitting here today and Jesus Christ is saying to you, you have seen me and yet do not believe. None of us know how long we have left. We've all begun 2022 as a congregation, but how many of us will finish it? may this be the year when by god's grace you see him and believe don't leave it any longer the final group of people i want to speak to are the majority of you those with a living faith in jesus christ and yet you may be discouraged by the unbelief around you perhaps as we start a new year the darkness seems darker than ever You see so many people who aren't interested in Jesus or who are interested in him for the wrong reasons. You think back to people who who once worshipped here fairly recently but, but today seem to have no interest. And it's hard not to be discouraged. But I want you to notice here that Jesus isn't discouraged. And I don't want you to be discouraged either. Jesus sees right through these people. He knows that they're only interested in him for what they can get out of him. He he himself says to them, you have seen me and yet do not believe. And so why isn't he discouraged? Well, Because as he says in the very next verse, all that the Father gives me will come to me. What gave Jesus this confidence was that before the foundation of the world his father had chosen a definite number of people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language to be saved and as Jesus goes to the cross he doesn't go there hoping that some might believe he goes there confident that many will believe because the father had given them to him and they will come to him. He talks about the same group of people in verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus is absolutely confident that his death will achieve exactly what the Father had planned for it to achieve. That he would save every single one of his people. That he wouldn't just make salvation possible for them, but that he would actually save them. Jesus was confident that his mission would be a success. (coughs) And you can be confident of that too. As you look out in the world, you don't have to worry that something has gone wrong. Every last one of those whom God has chosen will come to Jesus. And perhaps we'll get to be front row spectators of some of that in 2022. And if you've already believed in him but you've seen others fall away and you wonder whether you'll make it to the end, Jesus himself reassures you here in verse 39, I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me. The most precious things in this world can be lost. Treasure, art, heirlooms. But Jesus will lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Amen. Well, we turn now to sing about what we've just been thinking of, turning to Psalm 73, the B version on page 160. Psalm 73, page 160 uh, 73b, uh, notice especially verse 3, Whom have I in the heavens high, but thee, O Lord, alone, and in the earth whom I desire, besides thee there is none. That's what it means for Jesus to be our bread. That our greatest desire wouldn't be for what he can give us, but that we might know him. That heaven itself would lose its attraction for us if Jesus wasn't going to be there Psalm 73b will stand and sing praise